Come on, show me the magic. Can I take you out to the picture? Well, I hope you'll come and see me in the movies. What a scene of your Hollywood song. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films podcast. You are listening to part two of our discussion on Magical Mystery Tour to round off the end of our second season. Uh, Let's pick things up where we left off the last time. Going to ask you a question, and I feel like I already know the answer, and I feel like I'm already going to be called out as being foolish for even suggesting it, but the Beatles performing a somewhat choreographed routine to your mother should know is that like the very first beginnings of like a boy band group that would combine dance with songs like basically your mother should know (laughs) is there a through line that starts with your mother should know and ends with backstreet boys or someone (laughs) (laughs) it's the backstreet boys is the most contemporary (laughs) reference you could think of it's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and then, and then continues through to modern day, whoever that might be. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you know, it's 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 a it's a good question. I mean, um, were there because and, so, and know, the reason uh, I asked is because because um, it, it did because I was thinking about this for a little while, and I was also thinking, well, you know what? There's an argument we and and this it is an entire separate line of questioning, um, which is that we made the point when we were talking about I think it was Birth of the Beatles where that film makes a a very pointed um, depiction of the band seeing other bands play on stage and doing like a little choreographed footwork routine. And the film makes the point mm. that this isn't the band that does that, right? So the, the Beatles are a step apart from those other more polished bands. They Their, their, their art yeah. and their, their talent is more innate. So then I was thinking, well, maybe that was something that other bands were doing. They had this sort of like choreographed footwork thing going on and and the Beatles refused to sort of um, align themselves to that kind of thing and they, they just did rock and roll, um, straight and raw. So then does my, Your Mother Should Know represent a, a bit of a turn back? Um, uh, in some ways a step back does it represent a bit of a step back for um for, for them in that respect you know like them them sort of resorting to sort of more choreographed things um no, well it, so certainly when you see them doing a choreographed dance routine you are you are very aware that this is not something that they do hmm. um hmm. that this is this is an exception uh no i don't think they're sort of uh harking back um to you know to uh, to that kind of scene because they were never particularly part of it i think they're sort of uh they're they're sort of subverting it in a sense mm. subverting it by doing it if you, if you like but uh, but like i said when we were talking about the song your mother should know the reason people kind of think of that as a musical pastiche is is partly because of uh the video that is in that staging that is in the film and the yeah yeah the staging the choreography uh, the fact that they're doing that at all, um, but no, I think it, it, again, it's. Um, I don't know if I'd call, I was about to call it a parody. I don't know if I'd call it a parody of musical. They, they are. It's performed pretty straight. That you know that um, song and dance number. I mean, the um, and they're enjoying it as well. By the way, like the um, 
George is enjoying it, which is uh, significant, I think. Because um, were... actually throughout this, I was sort of... Oh, sorry, I, I think uh, you're going to make the same point I was out. about to make, which is that um, there are times yeah. in this film where George is in the mix of a group of people, and I feel like you are not part of this. <laughs> you're, you're, as in, you're not feeling the same energy and the same vibe that everyone else in this scene is supposed to have, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was looking out for signs of that, you know, because, you know, it's sort of fairly seasoned George watches by now, you know. I feel like you can kind of spot the signs where he's not really into it. You know? um, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, mainly because he just... I don't think he it. enjoyed being a wizard. Uh, <laughs> no, but, I, it, but, I, it, but interestingly, the, the, the bits in it, like your mother should know, where, where you you would have thought he'd just be like, oh no, right, I can't be bothered with this, you know. Uh, he actually does seem to be yeah. enjoying himself, uh, and yeah, it, 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 yeah, 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 which makes you wonder, like, at what point did he start thinking that way? Because I think you're right. I think this might be on the cusp. Like, I've, at mm. some point between this and the get back sessions, he started thinking that way, and maybe this was just right at the tail end of of him still being in the uh, keeping in the spirit of things, you know. Yeah, actually, there was there was a link between those two things that occurred to me watching this. Is that do you remember in Get Back when um the idea comes up? It's like oh, we can all be we can go on a ferry, we can all be on a boat for whatever. And George just says, I don't want to be on a boat with a load of people stuck there for two weeks. And I was watching this, and I thought, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> when he said that, was he thinking back to the coach, like being on a coach yes. with a load of people for two yeah. weeks and being stuck there? Maybe that's. <laughs> it was very George. And the boat's even like... worse because then he's in the sea. Like at least a coach he can get off. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, like... yeah. At least he gets to stop at his services every now and again. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I, I noticed that as well. Like the your mother should know performance. Paul is always the one that seems up for all of this throughout the whole film mm-hmm. like a- a- every segment he seems like he's in the movement and, and particularly in this one you know at the end when they after they descended the staircase and also by the way i found it really fun to watch where they might have learned that or in what way they might have learned that choreography mm-hmm. right so there's like a verse they're gonna descend the stair the stairs one step at a time yep. and then the next verse they're gonna do it uh in two time um, and then they, they change their movement slightly and yeah. stuff, and it's just really interesting. They they change with the the format yeah, of the song, yeah, yeah. but you can see that like John is kind of doing a little bit of a um, uh, he he knows that he's sending up this kind of routine. Yeah. I think George is having fun. I really enjoy that Ringo is is a little bit awkward with it. Like I don't know, you know, at the end they do this thing where they like move from side to side and they like they click their fingers <laughs> and like everyone else has like a natural swing, whereas Ringo is very much like. Um, you, you, when you watch him, it's like profile right hand side, profile left hand side because he's moving his entire head to his hands. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's very like it's very stilted. This <laughs> whole thing, yeah. but um, but all of that very very charming to watch. But during that last segment, after they descend the stairs and they're walking towards the camera, Paul starts breaking out from the rest of the group and then rejoining the line, and you know he starts having a bit more fun with it. Okay. And I feel like that's the impression I get from him throughout the whole film is he's he's doing a little bit more. Uh, it's almost like he's a little bit more. He's aware of the finished product, and that's probably because mm. he's generally thought of as the overall director of this film, and um, he he knows what he wants to get from it. But I also wonder 
how much of it is playing up to a, a level of vanity for him you know like how much is it showing him as being a little bit of a stand apart from the rest of the group um and he's the one who's in control of that visual narrative as the the bigger directorial voice of the group well possibly i i mean like if it's, that might be one thing that's going on there another uh, another thing is perhaps that he's just uh, naturally more at ease with something that is you know so if they're going to say okay we've got this song we just want to do like a choreographed dance routine for it um and we'll wear like white tuxedos you know it won't be too challenging but you know let's try and do it properly you know whereas you know mm. and by the way they they do all do it properly and John does kind of send it up a bit, um, as you'd expect. Um, but I suppose Paul is probably the one there who is more comfortable with the idea of it just being straightforwardly an entertaining music hall style sequence. You know, I don't think that idea is troubling to him, you know, whereas I think mm. John would sort of interrogate that a bit more. You know, and George would probably lose interest after a while. But as long as you, you know, get him to do all his scenes within half an hour or an hour, then he's he's probably okay with it. You know, that kind of thing. Because the thought occurs to me as well while I was watching Fool in the Hill that, you know, I think we think of this film, rightly or wrongly, as Paul's directorial uh, film more than the rest of the bands. So when you have something like Fool in the Hill, where there's a lot of focus on him, only him. Mm-hmm. He, he's, like you said earlier, he's taken a camera to Nice, I think it was, yeah. to film the segment. Like, at what point is that just him filming a lot of himself and that, that coming across maybe perhaps a little bit vain? But also, sort of, uh, as a bit of a larger question, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, is this the first time that we start seeing the band uh have individual separate segments and 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 it, is it the first sense that we might get of them being diverging individuals within the band rather than always as a four yeah it's it's a very good point because I mean, i'm thinking about falling the hill i'm thinking about yeah. blue jay way yeah, yeah. like it, it just feels like there's a you know they, they each take on their individual elements within the film yeah. and it doesn't necessarily feel like a cohesive whole yeah 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 it's almost like yeah here's here's your solo spot you do this bit you know that kind of yeah. thing and i think because i think like we're often told that sort of the white album was the point at which this started to happen because they were recording so much stuff and they uh ended up just a lot of it was sort of in different studios so thing something like why don't we do it in the road? I think is just Paul and Ringo just had this idea and went and yeah. did it quite quickly when the others were in another studio, that kind of thing. And um, the narrative around that album is like, that's when they kind of started to diverge in terms of their interests. It's less of a group album. It's more of the sort of in individual elements coming together, but you're right. This is a, it's a really good point. I mean, this is a, a time when you can see that starting to happen. I mean, the fool on the hill is just, that is just a, a that's a Paul McCartney solo video, you know, that's um yeah yeah exactly that yeah uh, yeah uh, and and, I, and the only other time i could think of that might have happened in their career where something similar happened was that that moment on stage where john introduces paul to perform yesterday yeah 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 that's right 
I, I, I can't think of another time that brings to mind, and you might think of something, but I can't think of any other time where someone within the band is singled out in the same kind of way. No, I agree. Um, and, and this feels like the first time that starts to happen. Yeah, I think so. No, you're right. I mean, yesterday, uh, I think there, there was a bit of internal pressure, well, internal pressure, or at least internal discussions about, should this be put out as a Paul McCartney solo single? And, you know, and, mm. and everyone agreed, no, this is a Beatles song. You know, it's a Lennon McCartney song. Um, it'll be put out as such. But I think he's he's the only one who performs on it. And I think that's the first instance where the other Beatles didn't where uh, didn't perform on it or certainly the first instance where only one of them performed on it I suppose this is the thing about uh, associating um, these films with the songs themselves is that we don't have that for yesterday in the same way or at least we, you know that that on stage performance that you're talking about uh, you know we have that because of things like the anthology and so on um, but really yeah uh, so I, I, I guess maybe we don't think of them in the same way as uh, a divergence from the idea of them being four of them and being a, a unit because we don't have that visual association in quite a, such a strong way as we do with something like a fool on the, uh, the fool on the hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com <laughs> obviously talked a lot about uh the music overall and uh, i guess approach to filming we haven't really mentioned an awful lot about the individual segments between the songs um and it's i guess it's difficult to know how to attack that because they seem so disparate um this idea of there being a you know you know what actually i say that they're so disparate i think that's part of the charm, isn't it? I think the idea... I, I am a big fan of the overall idea of the movie, which is a tour bus going on some kind of guided um, uh, venture mm -hmm. would naturally consist of different characters who, who would all have their own different stories and different sort of, um, you know, outlooks. And I kind of feel like overall that's what the film is trying to pre present. Yeah. Um, so there, there are elements of that that come through where you've got, you know, obviously Ringo and his aunt Jessie, um, and, uh, you've got, um, the courier, um, uh, what's his name? Blood Vessel. Buster Blood, Blood Vessel. Vessel. Yeah. Buster Blood Vessel. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, uh, and they have their own sort of like, you know, dream sequences, uh, in, in the film. Um. I, I, you have those elements of it, and then you also have these utterly bonkers elements that contains everyone in, in on the bus, like the army of Victor Spinetti uh, scenario, and also out of nowhere, what seems appears to be some kind of race that they all have, although the stakes aren't entirely explained, mm. and they just <laughs> start deciding to race each other, and yeah. I think Ringo wins, but who's really sure? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, I guess what are the standout moments for you between the songs? Um, what do you think works? What don't you think works? 
Uh, I think the race was something I wanted to mention actually because I think um, it is there's some real uh, I use the by the way I know nothing about uh, cars or anything uh, in my notes I use the word talk so uh, t- did you t- t- wow t o r q u e and uh, I'm now going to talk about yeah, yeah, talk about wrong. For, okay fine um, the it, it it I I put in my notes. It, it has some talk to it, and I don't know whether that's a real thing that means anything. But what I mean is that, it, as you say, that it, there is no the, the stakes are not clear. There is no jeopardy to it or anything like that. Um, hmm. But the it, there's no sort of narrative urgency. But there is a thrill to it. You know, um, the the hmm. way it's done. Uh, the music they use uh, behind it, you know, it's funny as well. Like, you know, they've got sort of vicars with their heads sticking out of the window. Uh, it, again, this is sort of sub- subverting Englishness in some way. Um, but I, I did feel, um, I'm not going to say I felt invested in like who wins the race or anything like that, because you don't know who any of these people are or why they're racing or anything. Um, but it, it, it's interesting that, and actually, if you think back, um, to that thing that uh, Scorsese uh, said uh, about uh, it is a choice whether a, a, a thing has a story or not. That actually, that chase scene has absolutely all the elements of a chase scene other than the narrative reason for it to take place and the things that would make you emotionally invest in who wins it. Um, and, and so what you're actually left with interestingly is literally just the mechanics of a chase scene and how it might generally be done um uh, just uh, absent any reason for it to exist <laughs> and um and and the interesting thing is uh for me uh it, there's still a thrill to it you know and but you know what that's really interesting because um if i wonder who, who is behind the camera at that point that that's the bit that interests me because you know there, there is a job to be done behind the camera. There's a job to be done in the editing yeah. of that scene, probably more so in the editing of that sequence. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very um, effective. Mm. You're you're right. Like you know the the reason why it doesn't work if it doesn't work is because there's no context for it. But actually, uh, the mechanics of it work very very well, and um, it makes me think of. There's um, there's the fantasy sequence I think that um, Aunt Jessie has uh, where she's on the beach with Blood Vessel mm. and um, uh, and you know he draws the heart around her and um, you know it's it's a very romantic feel and that has all of the elements of a sort of home video almost like you almost expect there to be some kind of like um, like film blip like it was filmed on like a super 8 camera or something you know like a yeah. a proper like old school 60s handheld camera but shot in that handheld home movie style mm. and it's very effective yeah like that so so who's been the the artistic uh driver of both of those things where you've got two very different elements of this film presented in very very different ways but are actually um conforming to the tropes of those particular styles of uh um of movie or the or, or the the emotion that they're trying to convey at that time of movie and actually doing that very 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 well like is that paul like because if so i'd, I'd, I'd argue that it's actually it shows a, a, a huge amount of talent i think 
Well, I, I suppose, but it, but also it you know it shows uh, an appreciation for uh, for form. Uh, it shows it shows um, uh, shows a sort of intellectual and cultural life lived. I uh, you know we're always told that Paul Paul in particular is the one who's sort of absorbing all these bits of culture through. Uh, you know the, the sort of London art scene, um, and so yeah, you can see. And so I, I'm not sure this. You know, I, I would attribute this all to him. I don't, I don't really have any basis for doing so. But um, I, I think uh, wh- whoever has has done that, whether individually or collectively, certainly has watched action films and uh, understood without necessarily articulating it what makes them exciting. And has watched um, perhaps French uh, uh, romantic melodrama and understands what they look like. It's semiotics, right? Yeah. It's the um, it's the, the the sort of uh, visual visual and audio visual, I suppose, signifiers of what makes a thing a thing without necessarily the actual, you know, the the, the guts of it is not necessarily in there. Yeah, and and I think that that's um, you know a lot of the sort of great modern filmmakers of today are essentially doing the same kind of thing with the legendary filmmakers of the older generation. You know, like you can see now, you know, the likes of um, I mean, even Taika Waititi and Edgar Wright, especially, mm-hmm. is is a director that you know is um, uh, referencing his filmic knowledge by copying styles that he's seen yeah. and it feels like that's that's a study but not a but it's but it's almost like an innate study it's like an it's a it's a it's a study in a and a copy without being like we this is how this thing works and deconstructing it and then putting it back together again to make it work for this film this is just an innate understanding of this is how this thing needs to work to to do the thing that I'm trying to achieve with it um, and in, in that effect, it's very, it's very effective. Um, more, you know, that that's one of the elements that makes me feel like this film doesn't get as much credit as it deserves. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think um, you know, and also uh, as ever, you know, Ringo's the best actor in it. Um, so he, he's the one who's given sort of uh, a, a little bit of a uh, it's charitable to call it a character arc, but um, you know, he is playing a character who is in a situation. I, he's gone on a, this trip with his aunt, and he he and his aunt uh, argue a lot, right? So this is yeah. Uh, re- Don't get historical. <laughs> it's a good line, isn't it? But um, if it's that great if, if that was improvised, by the way, it's great because they, they it, <laughs> oh, it's one hundred percent improvised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the historical line is? But that whole sequence is improvised. I loved when he has a go at his aunt Jessie, and literally everyone around the room corpse like yeah, they yeah, all yeah. crack up, <laughs> and it's in the film. It's in, like there's there's yeah. no hiding that that is improvised. Oh, like, there's no, no there's, uh, none there's of no that. pretense uh, that and and yeah, and also like I mean we've talked a lot in other episodes about uh, whether or not people are looking looking to camera you know winking to camera um yes in in this film people uh more than once the actors look at the camera as if to say was that okay and then just kind of carry on and again it's in the film like no one's taking this out and by the way yeah. you know it's not like they didn't edit this there there was an editing process which apparently was sort of fairly torturous i think the uh 
editor talks about, you know, they'd be sort of getting on with it and then John or Paul would turn up and then tell them to do something different and disrupt the whole thing, you know. Um, but um, I mean, you have to wonder, like, at what point are we going to get a uh, an extended release of Magical Mysteries Hall? Because there were apparently... Um, 10 hours. What did I read? Was it like 10 hours? 10 hours. 10 hours, yeah, yeah, yeah 10 hours. Yeah, well, so... Well, where does that all exist? Well, I mean, uh, earlier this year when uh, Peter Jackson hinted at there's this other Beatles project I've been talking to them about. Yes. And like, you know, we just want to know whether... Actually, I mean, when he said, um, we're not sure whether we've got the technology to do it yet or not, made me think it probably isn't Magical Mystery Tour. But it did make me think, well, if that footage exists, if it's in a vault somewhere, let's have it, you know, (laughs) let's see it all now. I mean... Yeah, but the thing is... I, I, I love the idea of like Peter Jackson saying here's another project that I might be doing but him approaching Magical Mystery Tour is him presenting all 10 hours <laughs> like there is there's no yeah. there's, his, there's no edit there's no Peter Jackson edit of Magical Mystery Tour yeah. that is just a slightly tweaked version of what we've already got right. that is like the here's the full 10 hours <laughs> this is this is like you, this is the experience of being on the coach yourself. Like yeah, yeah, this is yeah. the day trip from London to Brighton by yourself. Uh, <laughs> that just happens to be the Beatles and everything that happened minute by minute. Yeah, yeah. And the fascinating thing about this new edit is that, uh, in fact, it showed they all hated each other, and uh, none of them were getting on at all. <laughs> <laughs> Contrary to what we thought, yeah, this exactly. changes everything. You know. <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so sorry. So, you, so you don't think it was? You don't think it's magical mystery tour? But, but that was something that came into your into your uh, head when he announced that. Yeah, certainly. You know, that, that, that's what I. That, that's the sort of thing I thought of in terms of what is there a lot of footage of? You know, and um, mm. it, yeah, it's that. You know, it, so I, I guess it's either that or it's uh, that there's more footage that the Maisels brothers shot for the Beatles' first U.S. tour. Uh, sort of TV documentary. So a lot of that that black and white footage, mm-hmm. i.e. when they're sitting in the back of the cab in New York listening to themselves on the radio, listening to Murray the K on the radio, all that stuff. Oh, you yes. Know, that's uh, that's where all yeah, that is that, from. Yeah. So if, if there's more of that, right. uh, then I can imagine that that might be the kind of thing that might need some restoring, uh, perhaps with, uh, you know, the uh, Peter's uh, magical... Uh, Magical yeah. mystery AI tools, you know. I, I hadn't thought about that at all, but I wonder if part of that technical challenge is to colorize it. Because um, yeah. that would be an interesting thing to do. I mean, as part of this whole podcast endeavor, um, I've uh, become exposed to a lot of terrible colorization videos on YouTube um, that, that feels like they need some kind of, you know, uh, more AI assisted approach to them because, uh, that feels like something that can be rectified with given the right technology. So going going on to like other narrative elements of the film, I'll be honest, I'm I'm slightly less interested in some of the more mundane characters on the coach and the bus, and I realise that's part of the charm, but I think also part of the charm is just to understand that that is a uh, a slice of British life at the time and doesn't need necessarily need dwelling on yeah um one of the things i did like in the film was the uh magicians segments or I mean, i've always referred to them as wizards but i think they're just they're, they're sort of generally known as the, the beatles as magicians yeah the reason i like it is because this is the magical mystery tour and actually without those segments in 
it feels a little bit more pedestrian mm. than than actually I think is intended, and 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 then I think is also um, in the actual uh, songs like "Flying" and "Blue Jay Way" and and "I Am the Walrus," and introducing these uh, magician sketches uh, in in the film, even though they are obviously very very amateurish and and not necessarily well thought through it automatically brings into the film this idea that there is a cosmic relevance to this tour Mm. and i love that i love this idea that something so um normal as like a bunch of people getting on a tour bus doing something has some kind of cosmic relevance and has some kind of like universal importance as it as, as the fact that it has to be overseen by these four uh, omnipotent wizards or whoever they are, you know, I I, I thought that was for, for, considering none of that is present in what they actually say. Mm. That's what I get from the scenes. It shows how important they are that they're in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I mean, to the extent it has a story at all, that is the story, um, and that yeah, the the, the existence of the wizards and uh, John as the narrator. Uh, which is kind of significant in itself, but but John, as the narrator, what he says is sort of the only thing that drives forward this idea of like as they continued uh, down their journey, the magic started to take place and things like that, you know. And so, yes, and then you get to yeah. the bit where you see the magicians who are uh, concerned with where the bus is and are they on a schedule, you know? Are, are they like, uh, uh, are they going to be there on time or whatever it is? Um, so that is the only thing. That puts any kind of uh, narrative driver in it whatsoever. But I suppose also what that does ultimately mean is absolutely none of this is ever paid off. <laughs> so no. you know, no, no, you're right. So I suppose actually, but, but, maybe it makes it more unsatisfying. It doesn't for me particularly, but I can see why it would. No, it doesn't for me also. But when when you say that that is the uh, the narrative driver of the film, I feel like that is only because any synopsis that has been written about this film after watching it is taking that uh, as a plot because of those sequences are in the movie right i don't think that the film has been approached with, with that in mind i feel like after the event you might say oh this is what the film is about but only because a grand total of what four minutes in the entire movie is dedicated to these four wizards in a sort of outer space laboratory uh, apparently watching the bus that's it um and and you could easily not have those sequences in the film and it not change a damn thing about it <laughs> like you, like easily right yes true but yeah. but i do think that those sequences elevate the whole thing like because you, you could, it could just be here are a bunch of there's nothing wrong with having uh, a film where you have here is a slice of British life on a bus, and as they do this um, weird, surreal British tour, uh, we will segue into our new songs. But the fact that you have these two scenes of wizards keeping an eye on the bus that makes it feel like it has this cosmic relevance and it just for me it just elevates the the entire artistic endeavor as 
connecting sort of uh you know mundane british life to actually having some kind of universal importance which i, I think is quite profound in a way so you think that you like the idea that the characters actions are guided or, or fated in some way by these outside forces yeah, yeah but but i but i like the yeah i like that idea but i like the idea that that is entirely suggested by these two throwaway scenes that don't really uh, try to hammer that point at all. Mm. They, they literally, the the line is, "Where's the bus?" Yeah, <laughs> you know that's it, right? But just the fact that these, I the idea that these there are these wizards out there that are interested in that automatically seem to connect seemingly unimportant details of a tour bus with this idea of there being some kind of um grand plan yeah like yeah yeah which is which is kind of beautiful in a way right yeah yeah absolutely. I you know and and it and it feels like something that happened subconsciously you know it felt like it was a fun thing to do but actually mm. it was you know there's definitely that's definitely the reason why those scenes are in there and yet they place so much importance on the rest of the context of the whole rest of the film. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yeah. It's nice. It's nice to think that you know the way they were kind of starting to think about the world, and the way George was starting to think as well. Uh, you know, he's just at the start of his journey of uh, his spiritual life, if you like, and sort of uh, believing in the idea of a grand plan and be- believing in concepts like reincarnation. It's nice to think that this. Um, just sort of subconsciously uh, when they had the idea of let's have these wizards in it. Um, the idea that these wizards are sort of gods in a way and they're sort of guiding the whole thing along and that actually um, the Beatles were sort of beginning their own spiritual journeys and that these ideas occurred to them fairly naturally uh, because of that and because they were sort of starting to think more spiritually, I suppose. Yeah, no, exactly that. Yeah, I think that's it. That's right. Yeah, and I think that that's it, it, it's the fact that these ideas occur to them naturally, to the extent that no further thought has been given to their scenes in this movie, other than wouldn't it be fun if? <laughs> but actually, yeah. what that's done has granted the movie like a higher, or granted what little plot or narrative there is in this movie, uh, a, a higher status than than is apparent otherwise in the rest of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's just, yeah, it's just a, a natural, interesting and fortunate byproducts, I think, of that way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I sort of, um, I feel like it's sort of significant that John is the narrator in a way. So partly, you know, about that thing of maybe even in in a project we're told is sort of largely driven by Paul, uh, you know, there is uh, almost a sort of I'm the leader element in being the narrator, you know. Um, uh, but also it occurred to me, um, you know, in, in in Get Back where John gets to do the slide solo on the song Get Back, um, that... Uh, you know, there's, it's almost like, I think he says it at some point, like uh, he sort of rumbled them. It's like, let's give John something to do, you know, so just to keep him interested, 
you know that kind of thing what well, he says that i think he says that at some point like you know if you give him the guitar right. give him the right. guitar solo and get back and i'll you know and i'll be um uh, you know just to keep yeah. him, just to keep him happy you know because uh, you know he's, he's there's a- that balance isn't there because you, you you can also imagine on the other side of things you can imagine paul saying uh i've had this idea for a film mm. um and here's what he should do here's what i think here's my script <laughs> and it's like a circle right <laughs> uh, here, here's here's how i think it should be um and then you can imagine paul in his head being like well it needs to be narration and at that point in being like okay so I've got the uh, I've got the idea for the film, the concepts, got everyone on board. I've I've hiring the cast. I'm directing it. I've written the script. Should I do the narration as well, or should I give that to someone else? You know, <laughs> like you can imagine at that point in being like, I should probably get John to do that. That makes sense. I think he was well. Uh, uh, I don't think this whole project is as Paul centric as it's perhaps been made out to be in the past. But um, I, I do think that um there may have been an element of um you know if if you want to get john on board with something that you, you give him stuff to do that appeals to him so the the narrator uh i can imagine like his liking for wordplay um that it being the narrator might have appealed to him do you know what i mean like um yeah uh so yeah i think it's kind of and also you know this is the narration that as we said is is one of the only things that drives any kind of story, you know, it, it it is a very different film without the narration and without the wizard scenes, you know, but uh, particularly with it without the narration, because it's the only thing that tells you that something is happening. <laughs> it's the only thing that tells you that, <laughs> that anything at all is actually going on. Otherwise, they are just it's yeah. just a series of unconnected images, really. You know, there's not. Uh, yeah, and uh, and he hams it up as well. You know, when a man buys a ticket for the, you know, is he buying a dream or whatever he says? You know, and and uh, and he's obviously in- John. John is hamming up a lot in this film, yeah. like more than anyone. More <laughs> than, like you, you've got like it, I, I think. Oh, it's very interesting that I think the introduction you get to Paul in this film is him next to the actress on the uh, on the coach, mm. and he seems immediately like a sort of flirty playboy type character yeah, yeah. in my mind like yeah. he, he's very you know um uh he, he sat next to the he sat next to her and it's it feels like there is a um he's trying to make a connection happen there um but also immediately the first thing you notice about paul much more so than help very very heavy eyelided Mm. Like his eyes are off the charts in terms of, um, you know, uh, being how stoned he is during the recording of this movie. <laughs> um, that that is the one takeaway from Paul in this. Like everything, every time you single, every single time you see him, he's he's got cartoon eyes. Um, whereas John, uh, he plays the guy who sells Ringo the ticket yep. at the start. Yeah, um, he's obviously doing the narration. There were, there's the, the the scenes with him in the strip show, like uh, even him on the bus talking to the kid. He just seems a bit more animated, but in a that's a, in a um, acted kind of way. Yeah. Like he's playing up to the camera. He's he feels like he's he's really you know being a bit extra on purpose yeah. for it. Okay, that scene of him talking to the little girl uh, is really lovely, actually, because um, that because it reminds me of. Um, Get where it's like it's said that um you know he'd, he'd, he'd 
being a father to, you know Julian was I don't know five or whatever it was and um and, and uh, uh, Paul was just sort of playing with Julian in like quite a natural way because he was used to it because he'd come from a big family and was used to having a cousin stuck on his lap or something like that you know and um had just uh it, it didn't find it very difficult to play with kids and John said to him how do you do that you know it just didn't come naturally mm. to him you know and so that's the and I think it actually that's harked back to a bit in two of us I think isn't it when Paul uh there's a phone there's call a phone. and Paul talks to Sean on the phone and he's just sort of very yeah. at, at ease with the idea of just mucking about with a kid and you can see that John isn't you know and but I always really like this scene of John uh playing with the little girl because he's being he's using his own sense of humor to make her laugh and he's enjoying making her laugh and he's kind of deadpanning as well um you know yeah. and his look to camera um I think he says like do you do you want to blow up the balloon or something? She goes no, and and he just like looks at looks at like at the camera in sort of mock, <laughs> mock shock, and it's actually really quite sweet, you know. It's nice, you know. He's enjoying himself here. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think yeah. like I don't think like anyone had to drag him along to do this, and I, I think like when he talks later in interviews about you know this was the point at which like maybe Paul kind of started to take over, and you know like bright, you know. Brian's gone and we're a bit rudderless, you know, and so, you know, Paul kind of decided to, to, to sort of be the leader. And John kind of talks later on about uh, feeling a bit resentful about that, I think. But, you know, he seems pretty happy to be led here, you know, going by this evidence. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, like, you know, this is one of the reasons why it would be really interesting to see the rest of the footage or, you know, at least a couple of hours of it or something like that just to see, you know, a few more outtakes because you'd, you'd be bound to see lots of stuff where they're not acting. You'd be bound to see lots of stuff where they're just chatting to each other, you know, and obviously... Absolutely. That's the, that, uh, that's, that's the real sort of buried treasure of these things, isn't it, you know? I think that uh, on the whole, um, it's been really interesting talking about this film in terms of whether or not it's a success or a failure, because I, I feel like that is the overriding debate about the film. Mm. Uh, you know, we 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 don't we're not really used to talking about anything related to Beatles as a failure, yeah. and I think this is probably the only thing that comes close to being discussed in that way. Yeah, the more we dig into it, the more I feel like there's a lot to admire. There's a lot to to, to look at as a as something that the the film achieves um in, in a way that should be celebrated um and therefore should be considered as a success i i think there are things about the film that are recorded in a very amateurish way and i think that's probably you know uh lent itself to this sort of um negative view of the film but on the whole in terms of pushing boundaries and uh and and achieving what paul first sets out in his doodle of a circle and some scribbles i think um the you know the film uh it does a lot yeah and also like there was uh an official apple blu-ray release about 10 years ago this is where you get sort of paul's uh supposed director's commentary on it um uh and that is it, it's an apple product it, you know an official an official release it's a fairly uh it it's not as polished as kind of other apple 
products you know if you look at things like the dvd menu like it's very it's very sort of basic and stuff they didn't put lots into it but it is interesting that unlike let it be which you know as far as apple have been concerned uh you know for the last 50 years officially didn't really exist you know they didn't they they weren't going to put it out um because it was sort of pretty unloved in general but it's interesting that you know we talk about this being um the, the only thing that could be considered a, a failure really in the beatles career magical mystery tour is not something that they shy away from they're happy to endorse it as commercial products you know yeah but the interesting thing there is that um it has been skipped over hasn't it you know we've, we've had 50 year anniversary releases of sergeant peppers and then white album let it be and we've gone back to revolver you have to assume that at some point magical mystery tour will have its day yeah true. Um, and you have to then wonder whether or not if that happens there will be a a, a relook or a reapproach to the film or whether they'll just look at the the original ep release uh, but anyway hopefully you've enjoyed us talking about the film magical mystery tour and uh, all of the elements there in if you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation, anything you'd like to talk to us about at all, or just to comment on what your thoughts on the film are, then please do get in touch. We are available on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Beatles Films Pod. And otherwise, that is a wrap for season two. We have finished um, a second season of this podcast. We will be back again later on in the new year with uh, some new episodes. Please do follow us on Uh, those social media platforms so that you can be first to hear about when we will be returning with a new slew of episodes otherwise have a great new year and we will see you soon thank you and bye-bye bye-bye